Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Poet and author Daniel LaSalle is here today to talk about his debut poetry collection, Spit. It's the first ever poetry book set on a llama farm and examines the roles we play in the act of belonging. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on Daniel. Daniel LaSalle is the author of Spit, published by Wheelbarrow Books, Michigan State University Press, in 2021. He's the winner of the 2020 Wheelbarrow Books Emergent Poetry Prize, selected by Gabriel Calvert-Caressi, and the winner of the 2021-2022 Reader Views Gold Award for Poetry, along with the Inside Scoop Live Award for the Most Innovative Poetry Book. Daniel is also the author of a chapbook, Ad Spot, by Ethel Zine and Micropress 2021, and his poems have appeared in The Colorado Review, Cherry Tree, and Prairie Schooner, among others. Daniel grew up in Kentucky and currently lives in Brooklyn, New York. To learn more about Daniel LaSalle and his work, visit his website at daniellaselle.com. Well, hi, Daniel. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk with you about your book. But to kind of kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your writing journey? When did you start writing poetry and and what sparked your initial love of poetry? Hmm. I came to writing poetry a little bit later than most, I think. I was first introduced to poetry in high school, but it was majority what I call the dead poets, you know, poets that were no longer living in my lifetime at the time I was learning about them. And most of it was rhyming poetry. I think I may have had one or two unrhymed poems, but it was always through the lens of being really abstract or something that was almost derogatory um, Mm. with my teachers in high school. But I will say that Wendell Berry actually taught at my high school, he taught an English class, so not poetry. And it was like every other week, one day a week. And I never had him as a teacher, but my brother did. Mm. Uh, I went to school with his grandkids. And I remember seeing him in the lobby of the school waiting to pick up his grandkids. And uh, it was the first encounter that I had with a real life poet. Mm. And it really put it on the map for me as in like, this is not something that is like a dinosaur that is extinct. Right. And I I never really read his work. (laughs) (laughs) I was a bad student back then, I guess. But it wasn't until college that I had a an English course with the poet David Shoemate, who's a prose poet. And he assigned this anthology for like an English composition class. And it, it really opened up a world to me that was previously unknown. Mm-hmm. There were contemporary poets, most of them in this anthology were living or, you know, had lived in the last century. And it wasn't like Robert Frost or anything like more of the more famous ones that you might learn in high school. And I feel like if I had had an encounter with poetry that was a little bit more contemporary and spoke more to my time, 
I probably would have gotten interested in poetry much earlier, but it wasn't until college that I was first really, truly introduced and got interested in poetry. Before that, I really enjoyed writing, and I think I was always somewhat talented with it, always really drawn to the idea of storytelling and the power that you could really convey through meaning there. But for poetry itself, um, yeah, like I said, it wasn't until later. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. You know, I feel like a lot of people are discouraged from enjoying poetry because of Mm -hmm. the high school experience. And I'm one of those people. I mean, I agree. I, I do think that, you know, the way that poetry, and I, I can't make a generalization, say that it's always taught this way at all high schools, but in my high school, it was taught as something to be interrogated, something that was a puzzle that you had to decode. And it really missed a whole different meaning of, you know, the breadth of what poetry can be and can do. Yeah, it was yeah. it was through like a singular lens. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I felt like it uh, It did a disservice to, to what poetry is and can be at that time period, you know, and it resonated with me a little bit later. Yeah. I changed my major to <laughs> from communications to an English major. Oh, wow. And then went and got my master's in English and really just fell <laughs> fully into it. Um, yeah. And, and I've never really looked back. Wow. So your book, the name of your book is called Spit. Can you tell us what Spit is all about? Sure. It's sort of an interrogation of my experience growing up on a llama farm in Kentucky. I like to call it a fictionalized version of my life. It's maybe 90% accurate. I've, you know, as poets are (laughs) one to do sometimes, I bend the truth where it needs to be. And so I I add that stipulation. Um, So the speaker of the book is a speaker uh, that is almost like, um, it's not me, but it's, it's a version of me, I guess. I don't Mm. know. (laughs) But yeah, it's an exploration of what belonging means, what home means. It's an exploration of the body and our place in the wider world, especially that between nature and the city. It's got a narrative arc, a sort of a, a coming to age story in that it follows the speaker through their experience on Llama Farm and then sort of the will to leave the farm mm. to be more in community with other human beings. And then it's about the dissolution of the speaker's parents' marriage and the loss of the Llama Farm and sort of what that means uh, when you no longer have a physical location to to go back and call home mm. that you're you're so familiar with. And really by the end of the collection, it arrives at a different definition of what home means. And to me, it's more about what you carry with you that you call home versus a physical location. Mm-hmm. You like to think of home as being more of, of like a memory or something cherished that that you just carry with you. Yeah. You know, just listening to you talk, it, it sounds like you've written your memoir. Um, but then I, I remember in the front of your book that you did mention it was fiction. Uh, so, um, and, and I guess all poetry, I guess poetry is classified as fiction, right? 
You know, I'm not really sure, um, which yeah. you know, it depends on the author, really. Okay. Um, I go back and forth between classifying it as fiction and nonfiction. It's sort of in a gray area for me. Yeah. You know, and I'm pretty happy to have it sit in that gray area anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. How did your collection develop? Did you have the story outlined and then you just you knew what you were going to write? Or was it all inspiration? It came to you all at once. It came to me a little bit differently, I think, than what other poets might experience. And because it is my first full-length book, uh, I'm not really sure how it compares to what a typical book process (laughs) and creation looks like. But I started writing a lot of the poems while I was in graduate school at Marshall University. Just incredible teachers there that really taught me how to take my thoughts and the story I had to tell and really put it to the page in a way that conveys really poignant meaning. Mm -hmm. And that was around 10 years ago or so that I started writing those earlier poems in the collection. But they had no sort of collection to call themselves home in at all. Mm -hmm. I published them and, you know, I would keep writing these llama-related poems, but there was no cohesive story there. And it wasn't until my parents divorced when I realized we were going to lose the farm, that a really cohesive story started to develop there. Mm. And it really coalesced rather quickly from a narrative arc perspective. Yeah, after my parents' divorce and through my parents' divorce. And they got divorced when I was a little bit older, but I wanted to write the collection from the viewpoint of a speaker whose parents were getting divorced. I, I didn't find any other poetry collections out there that spoke to that perspective Mm -hmm. so I felt like I was I was doing something new as I was writing about that and certainly writing a collection that's based on a llama farm was very new as well yeah yeah (laughs) I love that (laughs) there were so many books that inspired me at that time that I I sort of look to as these poets are doing something special that I want to emulate. But there was no collection out there that I found, at least at the time of writing this, that spoke to the child's perspective of parents getting divorced. Mm. And what that sort of looks like from that perspective. And the fact of, you know, when you lose a family home, someplace that you've grown up in, and that you, you grew up sort of expecting, but weirdly so, expecting that it would always be there. Right. And when it's suddenly not, it really shakes your identity. And for me, it was the identity of farmer and llama farmer and Kentuckian. Yeah, just the identity I had sort of built around myself up until that point it makes you really reassess, you know, what it is that that we do when we construct identities and what we we mean when we say we are from somewhere and that we call a place home. Mm. Wow. I mean, your story is much deeper than, it's not just a collection about llamas, you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the title, I mean, the title and the cover, I think it's what grabs people's attention first, probably. Mm. Yeah. It would make most people curious. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was the goal, at least. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So how did you come up with the title? And and did you work with an illustrator on the cover? How did that come to be? Yeah, the title was actually suggested to me by the poet Joel Peckham. 
he took a look at an early, early form of the manuscript before I started sending it out. And he replied within a couple of days. He was just so quick with his feedback. Wow. And, and he said, here's where you're falling short. And here is where I think you should be going. Hmm. And it was that bit of feedback that was just so helpful in setting me on the right path for building that collection. And I, I got feedback from a lot of other really stellar poets along the way as well. And um, really synthesizing that feedback into this collection was super, super helpful. And the idea of letting the llamas play the backdrop mm-hmm. of the narrative arc itself. And I think in an earlier form of the manuscript, I, I had too much wanted to focus on the llamas as being the forefront. Mm. And making that shift really helped the collection re- really coalesce together a lot faster. I was very lucky in the sense that I, I didn't send out the collection very long um, before it was actually picked up. It was a finalist for a number of prizes before getting picked up too. And so I, I knew right off the bat that I was onto something special there. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. The That initial feedback, that I mean, that's priceless, you know, and to receive mm-hmm. it so quickly. Wow. That's yeah, yeah. Now, do you use different poetic forms in spit or do you favor one particular style i use different forms i don't like to think of myself as a formalist poet in any way but Mm. i recognize that i have (laughs) that i use different forms sort of suitable (laughs) to what i think is right for the poem itself Mm. you know i have some prose poems in the collection it starts out with a prose poem and then um you know, I, I have lyrical poems for a lot of the rest of the collection, but I like to, you know, view the page as a visual experience. Mm. So um, the poems, the way that they fall out on the page is, is sort of the way that that I want the reader to have a, a sense of experience as they're reading it. Mm-hmm. Sound is incredibly important to my composition process for poetry. The way that they they land on the page also is an indicator of the cadence that I want the readers to read the poems in as well. So there's just a lot of considerations. And, you know, at at some point, too, you just have to (laughs) to get into your your artistic uh, beast. Yeah. and, And just let the art take its path and you know, let the artist in you allow that and don't try to force it into a certain box or anything like that. So, and that's another reason I think why I don't consider myself a formalist. I think it's too constructive Mm. to my artistic process. Yeah. So that kind of helps as to the thought I mentioned earlier about, you know, it being a little intimidating. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I try too hard to figure out, you know, instead of, like you said, just letting it flow and let the artist, you know, kind of mm-hmm. kind of carry you through the story. Um, would that be your suggestion to help people that might be discouraged from reading poetry? Just I think poetry should be approached just like any other art form. And to me, one of the, the key elements of good art is does it create a question in you? Or does it make you question something or 
make you walk away with some meaning that you didn't have beforehand. Poetry has different uses in that when a reader approaches a poem, sometimes it could be to enact some sort of a political action on the reader. Sometimes it could be getting them to reframe how they've viewed an aspect of their lives. It could be pure just wordplay, just play on the page. And it's, you know, an element of trying to delight a reader and excite them in some way that that maybe they hadn't looked at language in that same way before. Mm. So I would ask readers if they're not familiar with poetry today, if you read one poem by one poet, that's only one poem by one poet. There are so many talented poets out there today that are all writing in their own unique way. There's something for everyone out there. Um, I write what is true to me and in the art form that is true to me. And a lot of other poets, they may disagree and they might write in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's all a part of of that art form. It's about taking words, sentences, language, and trying to, I don't want to say upset the status quo, but in some way they are contributing to the evolution of language. Mm. Um, language itself is not a static thing. It's constantly evolving and growing and you know, becoming its own next next thing. So I think part of the job of the poet is to encourage that evolution in our daily sharing of meaning mm-hmm. each other through language. Okay. So has your idea of what poetry is changed since you began writing? I think so. And I think it goes back to, <laughs> I certainly had a different idea of poetry in high school mm-hmm. than I did in college. And even after grad school, my definition of poetry has shifted. And I think it really just, your reality is widened the more that you read mm. and the more you can see what other people are doing with language on the page and, you know, what they're doing in their own art. And uh, it's exciting There's just so many collections that I may have read them at one time period in my life and they meant nothing to me. And then later, a couple years, even later, I would reread them and they would resonate on a completely different level. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think that's part of the beauty of poetry is that there's a there's an aspect of timelessness to it, as there is with all great literature. It really it speaks to the present moment, but also beyond the present moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What kind of feedback have you received from your readers? It's been mostly positive. It's exciting to encounter a reader of your work that you've never met them before, but they, they know you through your work and not having physically met you before. <laughs> mm, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different experience. It's been just wonderful. And I would encourage everyone out there who who reads not just poetry, but any form of literature. If you enjoy a book and the author is still living, try and reach out to the author and and tell them that you enjoyed their work. Mm. It it really does matter a lot to the author, I think. Absolutely. Um, You know, and certainly has, has meant a lot to me 
it doesn't influence my art in the next thing that I do, but it does keep you going through those darker moments when uh, you begin to question whether or not what you're doing in your art has any meaning beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Our reviewer, well, she loved your book, obviously. There was one thing she said in her review that I just thought was so funny, and it's it's on the lighter side, but she said <laughs> it, it gave her the hope of one day making friends with a llama because you gave her the ultimate how-to guide with your poem, How to Pet a Llama. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that story came from her mother's fear of llamas. Don't go yeah. near the llama. Don't go near the llama. It's going to spit at you. So, of course, when you tell a kid that, they're going to go do it, you know? So, (laughs) I just thought that was so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember reading that review and just smiling at that part. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not what you wanted most people to get out of it, but that was just one of the lighter moments she got from it. (laughs) I I absolutely love that. They, They are just such great creatures. And if anyone out there has never met a llama before... They have a similar personality to that of a cat. Hmm. They are lovable, but on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's funny. That explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was wondering if you would do us the honor of reading us a couple of your poems. Sure. Yeah. I could actually read the How to Pet a Llama since you mentioned that one. Okay, sure. How to Pet a llama. Let him sniff you first. Breathe easy. Look him in the eyes as you would your mother. Don't pat the head. He doesn't take being treated like a dog. Keep your hand at the neck, your palm down, as if smoothing out wrinkled linen. Let your words slowly out like twine like pulling colors from a sleeve, like a sharing of troubled history. Llamas carry conversations as if seated in a rowboat before fog has lifted, as if pausing to hear the long echo after a good shout. Welcome him. Tenderly, the llama hums, not as if recalling the tune to a song, but something longer lost. Call it a lullaby if you like. Stand, just the two of you. Let your breath mingle as in cold, the air on tiptoe. Mm, wow. Thank you. That's nice. I could picture the llama the whole time. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Yeah. I'm happy to read another one if you like. Absolutely. You wanted me to read. Your pick. Okay. I'll read two more. Taking care. A man in frayed overalls lost his house to fire last week. And now his family wades between the couches of friends. Two, three children. And yet, he has refused my family's help. Instead, has arrived with our neighbor 
to help us. We build a small fence to keep our dogs in so they don't go sniffing out to where rain has made the pond swell, where fish blister and flap wary-eyed in a basin of runoff. Because dogs love to end suffering with just a little more. They would come back wearing parched blood and scales on their coats, apple skins. Oh, that dying smell. You could see plainly how the fish had been torn without reverence, how our dogs had taken sorrow and made it their joy, which on some level, the man in overalls must be trying to do, parsing the earth with each fence post, his hands lowering and lifting, lowering and lifting. Hmm. Wow, that kind of gave me chills. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so was so was this based on? Um, I guess the, all of your poems are based on memories, right? To some extent, yes. Um, or yeah, I would say so. To some extent, yeah. Mm, start mm -hmm. usually with a memory, mm -hmm. and uh, sort of follow that thread. Yeah. To see where it goes. Nice. And did you have one more? I do. This one's about a memory as well. Evolution chart. I shake my hands over a sink like my great aunts did. Two women who live together among perched tobacco, sliced halves of fruit, jaundiced tabloids, sharing with me handfuls of candy, blue and red chocolate beads, while plucking out their favorites, the green ones, and holding them up between their thumbs and index fingers, dimes just high enough, so that the light of porch windows offered the cocoa shells a good melting. Their house had been a schoolhouse a century ago, its bell still there, the yard, a yard for play, in a backyard, one lamp, how things do linger. When I was a child on my father's shoulders, I'd touch my hands to a ceiling and call it my second floor. To travel your childhood means never to age. Watch, I am attempting as far back as time will take me. Already, I am somewhere else. I hold my hands to a towel, cover them, the surface like fur, and I think maybe this feeling recalls some earlier animal. Hmm. Now, I don't know why, but while you were telling this story, it kind of made me think about where you are now in Brooklyn and then going back to the time on the farm. I imagine mm -hmm. that was just such a big change and you're going back to somewhere comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is a change. Um, I feel like Living in New York City and in, in Brooklyn now, my whole life I've <laughs> I've lived in like practice cities <laughs> for the um, for the real thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a change. But you know, I, I I do enjoy an aspect of the city that is different from a rural setting, is that you can see your 
place in the cosmos of humanity a whole lot more clearly mm. than you can out in the sticks. Mm -hmm. Certainly you have really great relationships with your neighbors in the region, and there is an intimacy in the rural landscape with your humanity there. But seeing your place as part of a larger part of humanity, when you're living in a city, boy, you know, you you really see that a whole lot. You know, and every person's experience is different. But that's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently mm. as the difference between the city and uh, a rural setting. Yeah. Now, what is next for you? Are you working on something new at the moment? Hmm. I am working on a new manuscript, but I'm trying not to get my hopes up <laughs> at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's just, it's just been a struggle, this second manuscript. I have very high standards for myself, mm. and um, it's been a struggle to really get it right, and I, I want to take my time with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, plus, you know, I I want Spit to sort of linger out there a little bit before putting out my next book as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, I get that because, well, and Spit did so well too. I mean, you received numerous awards. And so there's probably that a little bit of internal pressure to kind of outdo what you've already <laughs> done. For me, that's what it would be about. You know, I'm so competitive, you know. <laughs> yes, I know, yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll see what I come up with next. Yeah. Um, it, it will be different from Spit. I'm one of those artists who I don't want to write the same book twice. Right. So, uh, you know, I intentionally, I want it to be very different from what Spit was about and what it is. And, you know, each book should have its own concerns mm -hmm. uh, that it really wants to explore. And uh, this next collection, I'm, I'm still grasping at what that truly is that it wants to explore. The poems tend to have a, a mind of their own. When you put them together in a space, they start talking to each other. Mm. And you start seeing some themes sort of bubble up and rise to the surface. And I'm still at that point right now where I'm, I'm identifying what those themes are and then trying to, to put it together into a cohesive thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing what you come up with next. And I just wanted to thank you for joining us today and for sharing a little bit about you and your work. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Daniel LaSalle, poet and author of Spit. To learn more about Daniel LaSalle and his work, visit his website at daniellassalle.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews on InsideScoopLive.com.